0: Well, good day, fellowship. It's great to be with you today as we get into God's Word, and we're beginning a new series today. It's called To the Cross, and we're going to be following Jesus as he prepares his disciples for what he would be doing in Jerusalem. And uh, he, we see in the book of Matthew, in three different places, he tried to prepare them. And so as we prepare for Resurrection Sunday, which is three weeks from today, uh, we're going to walk this road with Jesus to the cross and, You know here at fellowship bible church our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus Christ And so over the course of this three weeks We're going to be really finding the authentic Jesus in the scriptures And once we find him we're going to be following him Because who Jesus is will determine how you follow him and so it's very important for us to really lean in on the Word of God on how who Jesus is, so we can know and and follow Him as He calls us to. And this is going to mess with us. I'll just be open with you. It's going to mess with who you are. It's going to mess with your view of yourself. It's going to mess with how society views you or put place, places value on you. But here here it is. We've got to find the authentic Jesus. Beyond how our culture has made him, beyond how even we want to make him, we need to see him as he's revealed in the scriptures so that we might follow him. So I'm glad you're here. I hope you'll lean in. And as you lean into these passages, we're going to see in three separate places in the book of Matthew where Jesus said a statement like this. In verse 21, if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew 16. He said, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. We're going to look at the passage before this and the passage after this to fully understand the context in which it happened. Because Jesus was operating right now in a place called Caesarea Philippi, which is about 25 miles north than where his ministry center of Capernaum was. And uh, I've traveled there with a group of you, several groups of you, as we've gone to the Holy Lands. And in its day, in its day, Alexander the Great set up this city and built a temple to his God. And uh, the God of Pan was his name. And Pan was the God over all. In the Greek word, the word pan is used even in English, like if you could do a panoramic you get the whole picture. It's the all-encompassing picture. Or Pan-American. It's the all-American kind of perspective that you can have there. Or the cake of all cakes, the pan-cake. Right? <laughs> Sorry. Squirrel. Sorry about that. That just happened in my mind. Um, but here, here, the God Pan it was worshipped. And they uh, dug out these caves. And in one of the caves, there was water flowing from it. And so much water flowed from that cave that it actually became one of the headwaters of the Jordan River that flowed into the Sea of Galilee down into the Jordan River. Today, when you travel there, all you'll see is this. You just see the caves that, that were there. And you can walk through the foundation of those temples. But this is interesting because Jesus... And his 12 disciples were traveling in this area that basically had a reputation uh, that was like we have with Vegas. What happens in Caesarea Philippi stays in Caesarea Philippi. And so Jesus was in a very uh, immoral environment. There was temple prostitution there. And uh, it's not said that he entered the city. So, but he was in that region, Egypt in that region that had a reputation and so he made uh this question and he shared this question with his disciples it says now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples who do people say that the son of man is before we move on the son of man is a loaded title it was a title that would define the messiah And if you look Old Testament and New, Matthew uses Son of Man quite a bit. But in the Old Testament, it was referred to the Messiah who would be that person who would bring in justice and righteousness and restoration back to Israel. He would be that person who who returned on the day of the Lord. And so Jesus was just asking him, who is this Messiah? Who does people say the Messiah is? And they said, verse 14, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah Others, Jeremiah and one or one of the prophets. But Jesus then asked him a personal question. He went very specific. Verse 15. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter's confession. Peter's confession, he called it spot on, the clear, crystal clear statement: You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. The son of the living God. That confession. So when you come to Jesus, what do you find? What do you find when you come to Jesus? Who will you find? Peter gave us an answer. We find the Christ, the son of the living God. See, this is the confession that is Christ. And this is the confession that each one of us need to make to be a follower of Jesus. We all have to come to a point where we realize who Jesus really is. And our culture can call him a really good man that we want to be like. Uh, Our culture can look at his teachings and go, yeah, those are really good teachings. And we can just lump them into the wise sayings of wise people in our consciousness. But here Jesus is declared for who he really is. He is God, the one and only, the Christ, the son of the living God. Have you made that confession of Christ? Because here at Fellowship, it's our desire that you find Jesus for who he really is. He is God. And he's the one that we worship. And if he's the one we worship, then he's the one we bow down to. And he's the one that we follow. And so look at how Jesus just um, affirms the, the confession of Peter. Keep reading. Verse 17. Jesus answered him, Blessed Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. And Simon was Peter's given name. Bar-Jonah literally means the son of Jonah. That was his father's name. And that's how he was known in that community. He goes, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, Jesus was saying, Look, you didn't get this from your father, and you didn't get this from your own intuition of who I am. God revealed to you who I truly am. And then he said in Peter, verse 18, I tell you, you are Peter. He went from Simon to Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let me pause, because I think we missed something in the English on this. In the Greek, Peter, that name is Petros, and the word for rock is Petra. So Jesus was doing a little wordplay with the name of Petros to Petra. And he said, Peter, because you made this confession, I'm going to build my church on you. And I'm going to build my church on every life that confesses the name of who I am. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. The church literally there in Greek means the called out ones, the ecclesia, the called by God out from the world into, into my plan for them. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then he said in verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is a difficult passage to fully understand. And a lot of different Christians have interpreted it in different ways. Some Christians say, well, Peter had a special place. He was the rock. And so he'll be our pope or something, and we we then all the derivations are have that line and connection with Peter, and the authority of the pope speaks for us, or the because it's based on the authority of Peter. I don't think, respectfully, that that that's what this means, because I don't even think Peter believed that about himself, that he had any special power or supernatural authority of his own doing. I think any power and any authority Peter had, he was really quick to say, that's the power and authority of Jesus. And he spoke on that power and authority. And if you look, remember when we were going through First and 2 Peter, written by Peter, what did he really believe about himself? He believed that he was a Petra, that he was a rock, but he wasn't the only rock. He was built on the cornerstone of Jesus. In 1 Peter, we've gone over this. In 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 5, Peter is saying, as you come to him, being Jesus, he's a living stone. He was rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living Petras or stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what Peter is saying is, look, we're all part of God's building. Everyone who makes a confession in Christ, we're all these stones that God is building us up into a structure to make the name of Jesus great and to call people back to God. That's what I think Peter meant. And that's what I think Jesus meant when he said, I'll build my church on you. You've made a confession of who the Christ is. And so Jesus uh, then uh, charge the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Why would he do that? Why would, I mean, the thing that you were longing for in your disciples, your closest followers, why would you, why would you say, okay, you just said that. Great job, man. I'm going to build my church on you and, and keep it quiet. Don't let anyone know. Well, if you look at it and you read the whole story of Jesus up to this point, this is where Jesus was really moving away from the crowds. He was moving away from the crowds because the crowds wanted what Jesus could give them, but they didn't want Jesus to rule over them. And you'll see when they really realized who Jesus was and what he was calling them to be, guess what the crowd did? The crowd walked away, and the crowd was rejecting him. And so Jesus was very focused, and and we see this. It's really affirmed to us on why he did this, because verse 21 he says, from that time, and we've read this earlier, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief prebs, prebs, excuse me, priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And I said priests because Steve Prieb is one of our elders. Sorry about that. Okay, uh, so, so Jesus gives this picture and it's a different picture than they expected of him you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, don't tell anyone about it. And by the way, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm not going to take it by force. I'm not going to be the political Messiah that you're expecting. I'm actually going to suffer and I'm going to die. When you come to Jesus, who do you find? You find the Christ, the Son of the living God. But, But we're also called to look to... The type of leader he is. How did Peter respond to this? Look at verse 22. He says, And Peter took him aside, and he began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Think about this real real quickly. This, we aren't told how much time elapsed during this, but we get the feeling that on one moment, Peter goes, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And right you are, Peter. Uh, now it's Petra. And I will build, build you, my church on you as a rock. And I will give you power and authority to do that. So now I'm going to Jerusalem. Jesus, may it never be. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Think about this. From Simon to Satan in just a few minutes. And Jesus is correcting him as vastly different kingdoms that Peter thought he was following. Vastly different kingdoms. And it's interesting how in the same second that Jesus called him a rock, that word hindrance literally means you're a stumbling stone. You're tripping me up. You're tripping this up. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You're following me for what you can get from me, not because of who I am. And my goodness, do we fall into that? I want a better life, Jesus. I want a healing, Jesus. I want things to get I want to live my best life. And you're the way through it. And so we follow Jesus for what we can get from him, but we don't really want him. And so what Peter was finding here is he was finding who this really is. And and who will he follow? Because Jesus was calling him to follow him. And what Peter found out is that Jesus is the suffering servant. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God, but he's also a suffering servant. Can I tell you one of the greatest offenses to our culture right now is that to follow Jesus, you'll have to suffer. It's the greatest offense to the American dream because our culture is built on a self-improved, self-preserved, self-directed life. And Jesus will mess with yourself. He will. Every time you follow him. And I've been following him for many, many days. And there's not a day that goes by that he doesn't confront me in one area. And we don't like confrontation. We don't like correction. We don't like limitations. We like to be who we are destined to be in our dream of the happily ever after, however we try to play that out. But Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Folks, these are not easy words, but they're the words of Jesus. And it's really going to be a picture of his vision for his kingdom, rather than our little pipe dream. Let's take a look at what Jesus says then. In verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, so remember, he went to his disciples, and said, who do you say I am? And then Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Great job, Peter. You're a rock now. And I'm going to build my church on you. And then Peter, he goes, and then I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer and die. And on the third day, raise from the dead. And, and Peter goes one-on-one with Jesus. No, may it never be. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And so then Jesus goes with Peter. It's kind of humiliating, okay. He goes back to the 12 with Peter and goes, hey, everyone listen up. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus is connecting with the true self of who we are and beyond whatever you're classified or qualified in this world to be our world primarily views us as sexual beings with sexual identities and jesus totally takes that off the table and says look you are first and foremost a spiritual being and what can you exchange for your soul That soul that he has, God has created us. I always like it when people talk about churches as souls. How many people do you have at that church? And it's good for a church to say, we have 3,000 souls who come here. Why? Because the soul is the most important part of who you are. It will last beyond your flesh. At death, you will trade your physical body. Your flesh will rot, but your soul will live forever. And your soul is the most important part. So when we tend our souls, we're tending the true selves of us. And Jesus is saying, tend your soul. What are you valuing most? Is it your life or the life I came to give you? Is it your life or the life I have to build my kingdom through? Jesus is really calling it. and He's giving us the value of all values on what's the most important part of us. And he's saying, look, we've got to give up. We've got to step down in order to make him greater. Jesus is going to mess with three ideas of ourselves and he's going to confront them and he's going to give us a new way. As we look at that verse of if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. We're really going to be confronted. Let's talk about the first one. And as we talk about each one of these, let's just have this principle. Jesus is teaching his disciples that there there is no crown without the cross. There is no crown without the cross. They wanted him to be a leader that got the glory that they would rule with when he came in and overthrew Jerusalem and reestablished the kingdom of God. Jesus said, no, I'm going to Jerusalem, but it's ultimately to suffer and die and to rise on the third day. Look at this first one that Jesus will mess with each day. The first one is this concept of a self-improved life. And hi, I'll just confess real quickly, I'm Joe and I like life to be better. I want my life to be better. I love upgrades. I like personal growth. I like growth charts. I like personal bests. I like the vibration on my Apple, Apple watch that tells me this is a new record of steps each day. And it even gives me a, a virtual medal that I can feel good about myself. I like to make the world a better place. I have a dream of a major spiritual awakening in Topeka. Peter, though, would have nothing of his Messiah suffering. The Jesus he followed was a Jesus who gave him the way, the truth, and the life. And he thought it was his life. And Jesus confronted it. Jesus confronted the life he wanted for himself. And self-denial wasn't in his language That's why Jesus had to tell him that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. You know, if we're not careful as followers of Jesus, we can get into this mode of comparison. And it goes like this. How is my life better with Jesus? And we can look at all the things the world views as success. And we can go, do I have more of the world's success with Jesus than I did before Jesus? we can even construct the testimony. Before I met Jesus, my life was dark. I was a mean person. I was angry. I kicked the cat every time I came home. But after Jesus, I love cats. And the other day, I was driving. There's a rainbow and a unicorn cut right across Wanamaker Woods. It was awesome. It was awesome. And we have this thing that our lives got to be better. We got to have more money. We got to have better health. We got to have better friendships. And we Buy into this lie that every day if it's not better and if we go through times of loss Or if we go through a relationship and we do the hard work and it gets worse that jesus doesn't love us He doesn't care for us and I my life's not getting better with you So you'll find that if that's your philosophy if you've got to have the self-improved life with jesus You will deny him And that's what peter did When jesus was arrested Don't know him don't know him. Beep. Cursed at someone. Don't know him. Yeah, I mean, if we follow him for what he can do for us, then we're following him for the wrong reason. Jesus says, anyone come after me. Let him deny himself. Whether it's through an assessment, through an accomplishment, through perks, through advancements, through improvements, through the results, reports, or positions that we have, if we buy into the personal savior of success and opportunities, and we buy into the lie that he who dies with the most toys wins, we ignore this concept of Jesus. Folks, he who dies with the most toys dies, they die. They lose that life. They lose that life. But we never lose life when we're with Jesus. Let us deny ourselves to give glory to God. See, I found that a self-improved life is far too short of God's dream for my life. God's dream for my life is a God-transformed life that only he can do. It's his life, not my better life. It's his kingdom, not my kingdom, that's being built on earth as it is in heaven. The self-improved life is confronted by Jesus. Let him deny himself. And then the self-preserved life is confronted by Jesus in this statement. And what I mean by self-preserved life is who I am at my worst. If self-improved is who am I at my best, self-preserved is who I am at my worst, my flaws, my failures, my frustrations, my habits, my hang ups. See, a major discovery for me this year personally is that humility doesn't just p- apply to someone who has an overinflated view of themselves, humility also applies to someone who has a deflated view of themselves. Because when we're trying to preserve our life, we're just trying to not have change. We're threatened. We're insecure. And when I'm threatened and I'm insecure or I'm confronted or challenged, look out. The tendency for me is to run or to fight, depending on who the person is, right? It's to protect or preserve what I have because what I have is all I've got and we can move into survival mode and we just lose a vision for anything tomorrow because we're fighting to keep what we have today. And what does Jesus say about a life that is seeking self-preservation? Take up your cross. Deny himself. Take up his cross. My goodness. You see, our personal savior is safety and security. Or comfort. And when any of those are threatened, whether it's a health issue or whether it's a, uh, a financial challenge or whether it's a bully in our lives, we want safety and security and we bow to our personal Savior that whoever can give us the most safety and security and comfort. And the reality is, is what happens when you follow Jesus and your life doesn't get more comfortable? What if it's more uncomfortable in, in the system of what the world views as comfort. You see, Jesus willingly gave up his life for us. See, everything I have with Jesus, everything in a relationship with God that I have was given to me by Jesus because he took up his cross for me. Aren't you thankful Jesus took up his cross for you? See, the only way for you to be won back to God was for him to do it. You can think, oh, I can be good enough. I can come to church enough. <laughs> you're not. No, you can't. You can't. I can give enough because I can give, enough, I can give uh, up to a level that's better than most, and that's the problem, is we always compare ourselves with better than most, and Jesus says perfection. Can you do perfection? I can't do it. That's why I had to come for you. Because I'm perfect. I lived a life you couldn't live. I died on the cross to pay a price you couldn't pay. And I rose again on the third day for you. Everything we have is because Jesus took up his cross. And I bank on that every day of my life. I'm in a relationship with God because of what Jesus did. I'm not here because I'm any better than anyone else in this world. I'm here because I put my faith and trust in Jesus who lived and died and rose again For me, every Christian, folks, we're not better than the rest of the world. We've put our trust in someone who is perfect. His name is Jesus. And he took up his cross for us. So what does it look like to take up your cross? Well, it's more than you think. See, in those days, uh, well, let's just talk about the cross today. The cross today, like, we've got one right there. It's, it's a nice wooden cross. And, and every week I hear a comment like, oh, isn't that a beautiful wooden cross? It's right on the stage. I, I just love it. And if we were to ever move it off, I'd get an email. Why isn't the cross in the center of our stage, Hishma? You know? Um. We can wear it as jewelry. We can have tattoos all over our bodies of crosses. And it's weird how many places we put tattoos these days. But we have those things because we're comfortable with that image. It's, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Look at me. Hmm, 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 to you or whatever. (laughs) We can do that. We're comfortable with the cross. When Jesus said this, the cross was not comfortable. It wasn't. Um, The equivalent would be for you to wear a necklace with a, um, like an electric chair. Do you like that one? No, we go, you're so dark. Man, are you with a gothic group? Man, where in the world? We We would be offended by that. And Jesus meant to offend them it was to the death. In other words, if you were hung on a cross, nailed to a cross, it was the greatest picture of humiliation to the culture of the day. We don't see that. That's, hey, it's nice. We got gold ones. We got silver. We got wood. We got all of them, but it doesn't offend us anymore. Jesus is offending us. We gotta be okay with that. The self-preserved life that says, just don't take from me. I mean, I'll add with Jesus, but don't subtract with Jesus. That's going to offend Jesus because we're called to take up our cross. It means stepping down. Everything I have with God is because of Jesus taking up his cross. And everything I have in following him will happen when I take up my cross. That's why when Paul talks about loving someone, like a marriage kind of love, till death do you part. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and got what he wanted? No, gave up himself for her. Love is always stepping down. Forgiveness is always stepping down. Think about that person you don't like right now that you'd rather talk about on the water, around the water cooler at, at Monday mornings when you go back to work. Think about all the hurt and all the pain. You know the way through that? It's not more gossip. It's not more revenge. It's not. But just look at world history. It doesn't work. The way through that is for you to step down from yourself and like Jesus forgave you, forgive them. The way through a difficult marriage isn't you writing that list and your wife or husband performing to that list. That's not it. That's you stepping up and say, come up, come up here. That's going to keep you alienated. The way for you is to step down, clear the slate and say, I'll give myself up to love you. When both people are doing it, and it works really, really better. I'm not going to say perfect, (laughs) because we're flawed. We're flawed. The way up is the way down. Jesus would change history with this, take up your cross concept. And then, finally, he calls us away from the self-directed life, because Jesus calls us to not just deny deny ourselves and take up our cross, but he calls us to... An offense, to, to follow him, right? To follow him. Now, the self-directed life is a life where, um, where we have freedom and independence, opportunities, and no limitations. That is what someone would call, oh, I love that kind of life. And there's a part of me that loves that kind of life. But what does Jesus see when he looks into our hearts? Because he could look into his disciples' hearts unlike what I can do in you. I mean, you all look good. Everyone looks balanced and everything looks like you're wonderful people, okay? Jesus sees into the heart. What does he see when he looks into your heart? And when he sees and he looks into our hearts, he sees our wills. And some of us are so strong-willed. It's really difficult for us to follow because we're strong-willed. My sister had a a little girl and she was a strong-willed child. She went out and bought that book called The Strong-Willed Child. Her daughter ripped the book in half and threw it back at her. Strong-willed. Yes, it was taking it to a new level. Strong-willed on steroids happening right there. But you know what? We can do that, right? Just before I go on, the scriptures call me to this. Let's rip out that page. Here we go. Next page. Jesus, what do you want to do in my life? And we do it all the time. I can preach on different issues that you go, Yeah, all right, preach more. And there's another issue, and it applies to you. You go, I don't like what he was saying. I don't agree with him. And we can do that. We can play that game. Because a self-directed life is what Jesus is going to confront. Some of us are weak-willed. When Jesus looks into our hearts, he sees our moral condition. Some of us are stubborn to his way. And others of us are swayed to the world around us. He sees the flip-flop in all of us. He also sees the condition of our necks. And by this, is an Old Testament phrase that so many times Israel was, termed, was seen by the prophets as stiff-necked. In other words, I'm going my way. We've got to fight for the right to party. Yeah, okay. And it's, it's it's so when the word of God comes, we don't bend an ear to listen and to follow. See, beyond any perception of independence or self will, folks, we are followers. We're followers. We're swayed by what people think of us. We're swayed by an image we even hold of ourselves that has its own expectations on it. We're led by the desire for acceptance. We avoid rejection, some of us at all costs. We run from the backgrounds of who we used to be to try to chase a picture of who we want to be. And we can have a personal savior of freedom and independence. And we can have the threat of restraint or limitations, or correction. But the more I discover about myself with Jesus, and the more I counsel others with Jesus, the less I am convinced that any of us operates in reality independently. Folks, we are dependent creatures. Here's a test, and I won't do it, but what if I were to preach an extra hour today? You're dependent on food. You'd get hangry, wouldn't you? And some of you, we're all dependent on water. We're dependent on sleep. Some of you are proving that right now. You're sleeping right now and no one... (laughs) Oh, you just woke up. Welcome. Welcome to fellowship. We're dependent on all that kind of stuff. Those are our physical needs. But then we go even relationally. We're dependent on love and acceptance. If we've messed up, you're dependent on forgiveness If you've ruined family relationships, you're dependent on them welcoming you back in. And it has a tremendous sway because we're dependent on that. And yet everything we become dependent on, whether it's a chemical or an addiction or whatever else we're we're addicted to, folks, they all have rules and they all have patterns and we all follow them and we all become the same because they have demands that we've got to follow. So we are followers and we are dependent. So is there any wonder that when Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him? It does not give us the right to say, I can live however I want to be because I have the Visa card of God's forgiveness, and I can just live however I want to on his account. We're called to follow him. We have to come and turn from trusting ourselves, turn from measuring ourselves with others, and even with that perception of ourselves that we have, and we have to realize there's no way we could measure up, and yet for the grace of God, yet by the grace of God, we would be nothing. But we have Jesus, who lived and died and rose again for us, and we come and we turn and we trust him. We trust him as the, as the Christ, the son of the living God, and we place our trust in him to forgive us. Even on our best day, It's not enough. And on our worst day, we have enough with Christ. With Christ. And we turn. We repent from the self-directed life. And we say to Jesus, I'll follow you. I don't know where you're going to take me. But I'm willing to trust you and follow you. And we begin to love him. And we begin to serve him. You see, your personal philosophy when it comes to Jesus, whether you believe in him or not, that philosophy is going to play out in real life. And you're going to compare and you're going to contrast and you're going to look with your life with someone who is a Christ follower or someone who's not a Christ follower and you're going to wonder, am I better? Am I worse? Which way are they headed? Which way am I headed? And Jesus simply clears the table and he says, deny yourself take up your cross, and follow me. That's the philosophy we're called to. And I would just say, these simple words of Jesus changed human history. Here's how they did it. Because today, when someone wins the Super Bowl, and they thank the people around them rather than brag on their own personal skill, we go, I want to be like that when I win. And when someone fails, or when someone makes huge mistakes, and they say, I'm not the person I wanted to be, and I'm sorry. We go, that's how I want to admit it when I mess up. When someone deals with a cancer diagnosis hanging onto the hand of the Lord, even though they don't understand why, we go, that's what I want to do. That's where I want my faith to be because humility is the way of Jesus. And when we follow him, we step down from ourselves. We take up a cross, and we follow him. And so here's what I'd like you to do. I don't know what the Spirit called you to through our time, of whether it's self-improvement, if that's where you're banking your life on right now, or self-preservation if you're in an insecure time in your life, or even self-directed, if you're just headed your own way right now. Jesus is calling us to the cross. He's calling us to the cross to come after Him, deny ourselves take up our cross, and follow him. As you look at your notes, if you have done your notes, just circle one of those right now, that you would say to Jesus, right now, in what I know about who you are, and how you call you, call me to follow you, I will go to the cross with you on this. Whether it's self-improvement, whether it's self-preservation, or whether it's a self-directed life. And here's what I think could happen I think the future generations who follow us will get a greater picture of Jesus when you take up your cross and follow him. You think about in his own life, Peter, one moment Simon, the other moment Satan. One moment a rock, the next moment a stumbling stone. Ultimately because he went to the cross with Jesus. And because he continued to trust Jesus after the resurrection, he personally was willing to go with his own life to the cross. And as a result of it, we have the scriptures, we have the gospel today. Because he took Jesus at his word and followed him, denying himself and taking up his own cross. Who will benefit? Because you deny yourself to take up your cross to follow Jesus today. I think about every life in this room, and I think about just the vision of 50 years from now and all the people you will influence in the 50 years and all the people who will come from you over the next 50 years. And I think about this. We want a generation of people who are willing to take up their cross to follow Jesus. And it's not through self-advancement or self-preservation or self-direction. It's by each of us saying, I will follow you. I will go to the cross with Jesus. Would you stand as I pray for you as we leave from this place? And before I pray, I just want to let you know wherever you're at in this, we have people on each side of this stage who would love to pray with you. If you'd like to share what's going on in your life and you need some prayer, there'll be prayer partners on each side. Please stop and see them before you leave. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for each person in this room. Thank you for loving them so much that you sent your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose again for them. May they trust in this Jesus. And like Peter, say he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And for those of us who have made this confession, help us to follow him. Help us to follow him. Convict us, Lord, when we try to make this world all about us, when we try to conform to match this world or, or, or tweak our lives to look more like this world so that we might turn and follow Jesus. We trust you with each life in this room that it may, we may all reflect who you are and we pray for your glory and your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. It's in the name of Jesus that we live and breathe and have our being that we pray, amen. God bless you, church.